What if it's true? What if everything that Claire just saying is true? What if it really is our only hope and it's Christ? It's true. We believe it's true. We believe that you and me and the temptation, the side of heaven to find our hope in so many other things, to put our security in so many insecure things, we believe they will all fade away, some faster, some slower. But for all who trust in Christ alone, the life that you've been promised forever is not just waiting till forever. His peace, his power, his presence, all of that is ours now. And this side of heaven, that journey is hard. We know it, we feel it. Every person in here and all who are watching all over the world feel the reality of this broken, evil world. But in the midst of it, we who are in Christ have a perspective that is not just wishful thinking, but real eternal hope. Not just wishful thinking, but perspective that shapes everything about our lives because we've been called his and called to follow him. I believe every person that hears what they're about to hear can be transformed forever because this is the gospel. For some, it will be you coming to faith, maybe today. For some, it's going to be a new glimpse of the gospel that you have forgotten or just simply haven't been able to see. But it's real, and it's transformational, and it's about a king, and his name is Jesus. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. I'm going to read from... Mark chapter 1, verse 1, and verses 16 through 20. And then, it's not in the bulletin. I actually sent them the wrong verse. I'm going to read from Mark chapter 8, 34 and 35. So listen as I read. Mark 1, 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee... He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee and the boat with the hired servant and followed him. Now listen as I read from Mark um, chapter 8, verse uh, 34. And calling the crowd, Jesus said with his, with his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Father, as we open your word, we want 
this to me more than just a feeling, more than just a moment of encouragement, more than a false hope. We want it to be transformational, that we actually would hear your voice, Christ, saying, follow me, and that we would see what that means more clearly than we have in the past, surrendering all to you, submitting to you, and Lord, dying to our own self and self-reliance. Holy Spirit, move mightily, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The word disciple is a word that is used 269 times in the New Testament. Children, I want you to listen to how many times I use the word today and the word follow, because that's what a disciple is, a follower. So in the New Testament, from Matthew to Revelation, that word is used 269 times. The word Christian is only used three times. Three times, and in each case, it's referring to the disciples. So the New Testament is a book about disciples, written by disciples, and for disciples of Jesus Christ. But what is a disciple? What is discipleship? Last week, I, I shared with you how important it is for us to know what words mean, especially what words mean that are in the Bible. For example, the word disciple is not just a biblical word. A disciple is any person who follows the teaching of another, who wants to imitate their teacher in the ways in which they've been taught, the ways in which to live. So the disciples of Jesus were men and women who were followers of Christ, who upon hearing his call said, I want to be like him. I want to live like him. I want to indeed live a life that reflects the person of Jesus Christ. But discipleship today even in the church, capital C, lots of churches, can take on many different meanings. And that's why it's important for us to make sure our definition of disciple and discipleship looks like what Jesus was all about. When I was in seminary in 1994, Covenant Theological Seminary in St. Louis, my very first semester, so it was September 1994, I met a brand new professor. His name was Hans Byers. He had just moved from Germany. When he walked into the class to teach my Greek in exegesis, that's what it was called, advanced Greek, it's the second class in Greek, I could tell right away that this man really loved Jesus. The light of Christ just shined brightly out of his life. I also could tell that he was one of the kindest men I think I would ever meet, and one of the most humble men, which proved to be true. But I also could tell he's gonna be really hard. He's, gonna, he's just gonna be tough, I can tell. He's got this European mindset of education, and he was. The very first exam he gave us, I failed. And it wasn't like, I hope I did okay. In the middle of the test, I just simply stopped and handed it in and left frustrated. So great was my frustration that I couldn't hide it. So he reached out to me, invited me into his office. He said, let's talk about the test. I said, well, I failed. He goes, 
Everybody failed. And he smiled. I thought you were kind. <laughs> he said, except for one, Tommy. Every class has a Tommy, don't they? <laughs> His point in giving us this exam was to begin to strip away a false security, to rely on self and our own abilities. This man would, would pray before class. And I've told you before that my seminary in the three years I was there didn't even offer one class in prayer. It was a major blind spot. A lot of seminaries had that blind spot. It doesn't anymore. But I did learn to pray in seminary by listening to him pray. Before he would lecture, he would pray deep, sincere prayers about what it means to follow Jesus. And so a couple months ago, as I began to gather resources for this sermon series on Mark, I was in the storage closet of our bookstore, and I came across a book relatively thin on the Gospel of Mark, written by him in 2012. I didn't know about this book. Because I knew the professor, because he had such a huge impact in my life, I knew I needed to read it, and I did. And at the beginning, his opening words, what he would say is going to be the most important focus because this is what this book is ultimately about. He said something that shook me deep to the core. What if I've been missing it? What if I've been leading you poorly? What if we've all been just a little bit off? Remember when I came back from my sabbatical on spiritual warfare? I told you Satan loves the word almost. He loves it. Almost right. So I'm going to read to you his opening remarks. And the reason I've spent so much time describing the man is I want you to know that what he wrote, he felt led to write. What he wrote was deeply convicting to him. What he wrote, I believe, is true and something we need to hear. He says in the very first paragraph, sincere Christians. So he's talking about people truly who have trusted Jesus. Sincere Christians hold helpful yet divergent ideas about discipleship. Some focus on steps that disciples must follow. Some emphasize one-on-one -on -one mentoring. Others see the practice of spiritual disciplines as the key, while others hold to an intellectual approach that accentuates reading and studying good books. Now already, you can begin to see how true that is. In fact, different churches take on those different dynamics. You can think of churches in our own city that would, would put themselves in one of these areas, maybe even unintentionally, but the way in which they think about discipleship is seen in steps or is in reading books, whatever it might be. And Hans Byers is not saying that those things in and of themselves are wrong, but he's offering a very strong warning. He said, while all of these approaches have something to recommend them, they also share common weaknesses. And this is what struck me. They do not appear to draw their definitions of discipleship from Scripture's big picture. And although their proponents look to Jesus for salvation, they do not focus enough on his view of discipleship. What he's saying is that churches and men 
and women in those churches have certain perspectives and certain personalities that can cause their eyes to fixate on one aspect of discipleship. And even within a church the size of ours, you'll have all these little pockets. Even as you take a spread of our women's ministries offerings, which we would normally give, you're gonna see personalities and styles of discipleship. Same within men's ministry, same within small groups. In other words, he's not saying that these particular dynamics are wrong, just that they all share common weaknesses. And one is, and I'm paraphrasing now, that in and of themselves, they're not taking the big picture of scripture in mind. And what happens is certain things are elevated when others are diminished. The burden of his book, his commentary on Mark, is to say, let's see what Jesus said about discipleship. And let's see what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And let's make sure, however we define discipleship, that it is according to the model of Christ Jesus. He says, though there is value in other approaches to discipleship, our purpose here is to explore a more comprehensive approach, that of Jesus with his own disciples. Consequently, many readers will be surprised perhaps as surprised as the original band of disciples. And that excited me. I don't think most Christians living in this city, the buckle of the Bible belt, really see discipleship as something that's shocking. Discipleship in following Jesus is something that is radical. I wanna tell you, if your view of discipleship is not radical, if your view of following this person named Jesus doesn't lend you to see that he was radical and his kingdom is radical, then you have a very shallow and dim view of who he is. And you are not experiencing the joy and the incredible challenge of what it means to be one of his followers. Jesus Christ has called a people to himself. And as he calls this people to himself, they were blown away. The word Mark uses over and over again is, is astonished by this person, not just because he caused people like Bartimaeus to see, but because he was about a kingdom that was far different than the king and kingdom that they had imagined. So what we're gonna do this morning, and again, this is just a survey, laying the foundation of what we're gonna do for many months, is we're gonna look at what Mark says Jesus focused on in discipleship. This is not going to be exclusive, all right? We're not gonna complete this, but you're gonna to begin to see the marks of a discipleship really according to the gospel of Mark, and therefore according to Jesus. So let's take a look. Here's the first thing I want you to know. In the discipleship of Christ, the very first thing you see is that it's Christ himself who initiates the discipleship. It's Christ himself who calls. Look with me at verse 16 of chapter one. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, 
he, that is Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Now, some of you have been to the Sea of Galilee. I went a couple of summers ago. It blew my mind. It's just beautiful. At one point, I thought it, I thought it would be a lot bigger. And other times, I thought it was, you know, would have been smaller. But what is present is an active industry of fisher, fishermen. In Jesus' time, this wasn't a tourist place. This was a sea where lots of people were fishing as a vocation. And if you were good at it, you made a pretty good living. These were professional fishermen. And as Jesus walked along the shore of Galilee, there are many people that he could have called out. But Jesus purposefully and specifically called Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon. And what does he say to them? Follow me. A little bit further in verse 18, it says, immediately they left their nets and followed him, just like Bartimaeus. Dropping the cloak, these disciples dropped their nets. A little bit further, it says in verse 19, going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. The sons of Zebedee, which means sons of thunder, James and John were also fishermen. Jesus says the same thing to them. Come, follow me. Immediately called them, it says in verse 20, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. First point, that discipleship in Christ always begins with God's initiative. It begins with God calling his people. If you have professed faith in Jesus and you look back on your own testimony, you begin to see how that happened. It might have been a parent, a sibling, a camp counselor, a neighbor, a Bible study leader, Sunday school teacher that told you about Jesus. No matter how old you were, when you heard the good news of Christ, the calling of Christ, so to speak, you begin to follow him. God's discipleship begins with his initiative. Second thing I want you to see, and I think this is really, really important and easy to miss. The call to follow is to follow a person. Jesus says in verse 18, verse 17, follow me. He doesn't say, follow my teachings. He doesn't say, follow my good advice. He doesn't say, follow my worldview. He doesn't say, figure me out as you follow me. He simply says, follow me. Discipleship, first and foremost, is about following a person. Jesus was modeling the rabbinical style of discipleship, where you would sit under and follow a teacher for a period of time. Jesus was saying, come follow me. And as they did, they would hear his teaching. They would learn his worldview. They would see his incredible, perfect counsel. But he didn't say anything about those things at first. He said, follow me. The reason I think that is important 
is that many Christians today, I don't think, are focusing on following a person whose name is Jesus, who is 100% God and 100% man still. I think for many of us, we're following his worldview. We're following his teaching, which we should. But we miss the essence of what it means to be following a person who said, come follow me. In other words, you can believe the right things about his worldview. You can tell other people the truth about his teaching and yet not be following intimately the person who is the living God, the King of Kings. This God, Jesus, who initiated the call, who said, follow me, then gave a call that became, in the eyes of all of his followers, so radical. I'm using that word on purpose because it means at its core. And following Jesus at this time was a radical call. You saw what happened. They put down their nets and left their work. They left their father in the boat and followed him. The call to follow Jesus was a radical call. And the call today to follow Jesus is no less radical. It's radically different than the way of the world. But for so many in the church, the message of the church has so conformed to the pattern of the world that it doesn't look that radical. Friends, it is a radical message to follow the radical God. This discipleship is marked by surrender, submission, death to self, especially self-reliance. Jesus says later in Mark, the verse I read, if anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross, Luke would say daily, and follow me. In other words, to be a follower of Christ is not just a cultural, convenient, neat way of connecting with people that look mostly like yourselves. The, fall, the call to follow Jesus is a radical call of death to self, especially self-reliance, to surrender and to submission. And I think it was in the 80s, Dallas Willard wrote a book called The Spirit of the Disciplines. Here's a few things he said that I think are really important. He said, for at least several decades, the churches in the Western world, that's us, Europe, the churches of the Western world have not made discipleship a condition of being a Christian. One is not required to be or even intend to be a disciple in order to become a Christian. And one may remain a Christian without any signs of progress toward or in discipleship. What Willard is getting at is that a subtle message has been proclaimed in the church. And that subtle message is just pray the sinner's prayer and go on about your business. And you'll be in heaven. That is not what the gospel says. When you take the definition of discipleship in the whole of Scripture, you clearly see that that cheap grace is not what this word is all about. It is about a people following the call that God has given them 
to become like the one who has rescued them. It is a call to discipleship, which means imitating the one who is the true living God. This call to discipleship, many people today treat it like buying a car. There is a base model, then there's a middle model with a few more options, and then there's different levels all the way up to the most elite, all with added options. Christianity, professing faith in Jesus, being a follower of Christ means to be a disciple of Christ. In other words, discipleship is not optional. Discipleship is not, well, that's for that person because they're more serious about their faith. Let me say it this way. The last stanza of the piece that Claire sang so beautifully said this, with every breath, I long to follow Jesus. Should that be true of every disciple? The answer is yes. That's not optional. That's not for the deluxe version of Christian. With every breath, I long to follow Jesus. For he has said that he will bring me home. And day by day, I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne. The reason the day by day part is so important is because each day with Jesus, this side of heaven, is not necessarily sweeter than the day before. I know days where I can sing and be honest that I truly want every breath I breathe to be a longing to follow Jesus. But I also know days and weeks and seasons when that isn't true. And that breaks my heart. And the fact that it breaks my heart reminds me that I'm his because I need to die to my own self and self-reliance to make myself desire something in a moment that I should desire, but I don't. The call to follow Jesus is a radical call for all of his disciples. It's not an optional call for those who simply want to just get to heaven. The call to follow Jesus also involved a mission. And it had to blow their minds when he said it. Come follow me, he initiates. And I will make you fishers of men. They're holding their nets. They're mending their nets. What does he mean? Well, he meant that his kingdom was come. And he meant that he was going to use those men to catch others like you and like me. And when we hear his voice calling us and we follow him on that radical path of discipleship, that same mission is given to us.
to extend the good news that we're hearing today. The call to fish for men has never been, let's just get a bunch of people to say they believe Jesus and move on. If that was the mission, Jesus could have said it that way. He said the mission is this, at the end of Matthew, go and make disciples, followers of Christ. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the mission. And that mission is not complete. One day it will be, and when it is, Christ will return. So what does that mean for us? Christ initiates the call. The call is to follow a person. The person is the living God, Jesus himself, King of Kings. That call is a radical call to a radical king and a radical kingdom that is incredible. But that call is also to fish for men. Near the end of his book, my friend Dr. Byers says this about the privilege of what it means to be a disciple. He wrote this in 2012, so the events that we're living in right now that are so dark and so hard weren't in his view. But here's what he wrote. At a time of great confusion and profound need, a fresh look at the person of Jesus, the purpose of his life on earth, and his relevance for the 21st century is sorely needed. Christianity has been tested intellectually and practically over the past 20 centuries and has been found wanting. Often, however, it is a mere caricature of Christianity that is being rejected. A caricature is propagated by well-meaning and not so well-meaning people claiming to represent the faith of Christians while actually peddling their own misguided, misleading, and at times very harmful brand of Christianity. That happens when people who profess faith in Jesus have the wrong definition of discipleship. It happens when people who profess faith in Jesus allow their secondary identity to get in front of their primary identity, their own kingdom, whether that's economically, politically, nationally, racially. They allow whatever is secondary to get in front of the primary. And when that happens, we are peddling a gospel that is not the true gospel. The final outcome of Christ's call to discipleship is always God-dependent. Christ-like individuals and communities, meaning a church like this, maturing in the context of the unending rule of God. And these maturing, transformed people and communities are called to have transformative influence on their personal cultural, economic, scientific, and political surroundings until Christ returns. What an incredible call. 
Authentic witness to Jesus brings forth authentic discipleship in the context of the growing messianic kingdom of God. And this is why it's so radical. We who are in Christ have the living God in us and he shines bright. The world we're living in is very dark. The opportunity for us to show people the beauty and the power and the peace that comes in this radical king and his radical kingdom that goes on forever is incredible. If we intend to become like Christ, that will be obvious to every thoughtful person around us as well as to ourselves. That's discipleship the intent to become like Christ. Discipleship can be made concrete by this, and this is radical, loving our enemies. Who are your enemies right now? Who are those you disagree with online or face-to-face? Are you loving them even as you reject or refuse to believe their perspective? The gospel's radical. Discipleship can be made concrete by loving our enemies blessing those who curse us, walking the second mile with an oppressor, in general, living out the gracious inward transformation of faith, hope, and love. Such acts make discipleship no less tangible and shocking today than those who were following Jesus long, long ago. So let me end with this. So often, discipleship in the church is left with people saying, I have got to go change. And subtly, your attention has moved back to self and self-reliance. And what you're going to see over and over and over in the Gospel of Mark is that we don't have the power to make ourselves see. We don't have the power to change who we are at the deepest levels. So the marks of a disciple, according to Jesus, begin with surrender and submission and death to self. Children, it actually begins with Bartimaeus' prayer. And that prayer continues in our lives until Christ returns. Jesus, son of David, have Jesus, son of David, have on me. And then lastly, his third prayer, Rabbi, help me recover my sight. If your sight right now doesn't have you longing to follow this radical king and extend his radical kingdom, you're clinging on to a cloak, gathering all sorts of treasures that you think will make you happy. Maybe today Jesus has stopped and he has said to you, 
follow me. What might that mean? I don't know every detail, but I do know this. It will be about you letting go immediately, straight away, surrendering to him, submitting to him, and dying to self-reliance so that you may live. Lord Jesus Christ, I know that you're present and I know that you're active, Holy Spirit. And I pray that as we close out singing a song about you, our King, leading us, that we wouldn't already be rushing to whatever is next, but we would give thought to that incredible picture of hearing your voice say, follow me. Call us, Lord, and answer our prayer. Restore our sight. In Jesus' name, amen.